Section one of Beacon Lights of History, Volume seven, Great Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume seven, Great Women by John Lord. Heloise, Part one. A.D. eleven o one to eleven sixty four. Love when adam and eve were expelled from paradise they yet found one flower wherever they wandered blooming in perpetual beauty this flower represents a great certitude without which few would be happy subtle mysterious inexplicable a great boon recognized alike by poets and moralists pagan and christian yea identified not only with happiness but human existence and pertaining to the soul in its highest aspirations allied with the transient and the mortal even with the weak and corrupt it is yet immortal in its nature and lofty in its aims at once a passion a sentiment and an inspiration to attempt to describe woman without this element of our complex nature which constitutes her peculiar fascination is like trying to act the tragedy of hamlet without hamlet himself an absurdity a picture without a central figure a novel without a heroine a religion without a sacrifice my subject is not without its difficulties the passion or sentiment i describe is degrading when perverted as it is exalting when pure yet it is not vice i would paint but virtue not weakness but strength not the transient but the permanent not the mortal but the immortal all that is ennobling in the aspiring soul socrates says legouve who caught glimpses of everything that he did not clearly define uttered one day to his disciples these beautiful words there are two venuses one celestial called urania the heavenly who presides over all pure and spiritual affections and the other polyhymnia the terrestrial who excites sensual and gross desires the history of love is the eternal struggle between these two divinities the one seeking to elevate and the other to degrade plato for the first time in his beautiful hymn to the venus urania displayed to men the unknown image of love the educator and the moralist so that grateful ages have consecrated it by his name centuries rolled away and among the descendants of teutonic barbarians a still lovelier and more ideal sentiment burst out from the lips of the christian dante kindled by the adoration of his departed beatrice and as she courses from star to star explaining to him the mysteries the transported poet exclaims ah all the tongues which the muses have inspired could not tell the thousandth part of the beauty of the smile of beatrice as she presented me to the celestial group exclaiming thou art redeemed o woman in whom lives all my hope who hast deigned to leave for my salvation thy footsteps on the throne of the eternal thou hast redeemed me from slavery to liberty now earth has no more dangers for me i cherish the image of thy purity in my bosom that in my last hour acceptable in thine eyes my soul may leave my body thus did dante impersonate the worship of venus urania spiritual tenderness overcoming sensual desire thus faithful to the traditions of this great poet did the austere michelangelo do reference to the virtues of vittoria colonna thus did the lofty corneille present in his pauline a divine model of the love which inspires great deeds and accompanies great virtues thus did shakespeare in his portrait of portia show the blended generosity and simplicity of a woman's soul for you my lord bassanio 
I would be trebled twenty times myself, a thousand times more fair, ten thousand times more rich. Or, in his still more beautiful delineation of Juliet, paint an absorbing devotion. My bounty is as boundless as the sea, my love as deep the more I give to thee. The more I have, for both are infinite. Thus did Milton, in his transcendent epic, show how a paradise was regained when woman gave her generous sympathy to a man, and reproduced for all coming ages the image of spiritual love, the inamorata of Dante and Petrarch, the inspired and consoling guide. But the muse of the poets, even when sanctified by Christianity, never sang such an immortal love as the Middle Ages in sober prose have handed down in the history of Heloise the struggle between the two venuses of socrates and the final victory of urania though not till after the temporary triumph of polyhymnia the inamorata of earth clad in the vestments of a sanctified recluse and purified by the chastisements of heaven saint teresa dies longing to join her divine spouse but saint teresa is only a heloise looking towards heaven heloise has an earthly idol but her devotion has in it all the elements of a supernatural fervor the crucifixion of self and the glory of him she adored he was not worthy of her idolatry but she thought that he was admiration for genius exalted sentiment into adoration and imagination invested the object of love with qualities superhuman nations do not spontaneously keep alive the memory of those who have disgraced them it is their heroes and heroines whose praises they sing those only who have shone in the radiance of genius and virtue they forget defects if these are counterbalanced by grand services or great deeds if their sons and daughters have shed lustre on the land which gave them birth but no lustre survives egotism or vice it only lasts when it gilds a noble life there is no glory in the name of jezebel or cleopatra or catherine de medici brilliant and fascinating as were those queens but there is glory in the memory of heloise there is no woman in french history of whom the nation is prouder revered in spite of early follies by the most austere and venerated saint of her beclouded age and hallowed by the tributes of succeeding centuries for those sentiments which the fires of passion were scarcely able to tarnish for an exalted soul which eclipsed the brightness of uncommon intellectual faculties for a depth of sympathy and affection which have become embalmed in the heart of the world and for a living piety which blazes all the more conspicuously from the sins which she expiated by such bitter combats she was human in her impulses but divine in her graces one of those characters for whom we cannot help feeling the deepest sympathy and the profoundest admiration a character that has its contradictions like that warrior bard who was after god's own heart in spite of his crimes because his soul thirsted for the beatitudes of heaven and was bound in loving loyalty to his maker against whom he occasionally sinned by force of mortal passions but whom he never ignored or forgot and against whom he never persistently rebelled as a semi-warlike but religious age produced a david with his strikingly double nature perpetually at war with itself and looking for aid to god his son his shield his hope and joy so an equally unenlightened but devout age produced a heloise the impersonation of sympathy disinterestedness suffering forgiveness and resignation i have already described this dark sad turbulent superstitious ignorant period of strife and suffering yet not without its poetic charms and religious aspirations when the convent and the castle were its chief external features and when a life of meditation was as marked as a life of bodily activity as if old age and youth were battling for supremacy 
a very peculiar state of society in which we see the loftiest speculations of the intellect and the highest triumphs of faith blended with puerile enterprises and misdirected physical forces in this semi-barbaric age heloise was born about the year 1101 nobody knew who was her father although it was surmised that he belonged to the illustrious family of the montmorencies which traced an unbroken lineage to the pharamond before the time of clovis she lived with her uncle fulbert an ignorant worldly wise old canon of the cathedral church of notre dame in paris he called her his niece but whether niece or daughter or adopted child was a mystery she was of extraordinary beauty though remarkable for expression rather than for regularity of feature in intellect she was precocious and brilliant but the qualities of a great soul shone above the radiance of her wit she was bright amiable affectionate and sympathetic the type of an interesting woman the ecclesiastic was justly proud of her and gave to her all the education the age afforded although not meaning to be a nun she was educated in a neighboring convent for convents even in those times were female seminaries containing as many inmates who never intended to take the veil but the convent then as since was a living grave to all who took its vows and was hated by brilliant women who were not religious the convent necessarily and logically according to the theology of the middle ages was a retreat from the world a cell of expiation and yet it was the only place where a woman could be educated heloise it would seem made extraordinary attainments and spoke latin as well as her native tongue she won universal admiration and in due time at the age of eighteen returned to her uncle's house on the banks of the seine on the island called the cite where the majestic cathedral and the castle of a king towered above the rude houses of the people adjoining the church were the cloisters of the monks and the episcopal school the infant university of paris over which the archdeacon of paris william of champeaux presided in scholastic dignity and pride next to the bishop the most influential man in paris the teachers of this school or masters and doctors as they were called and the priests of the cathedral formed the intellectual aristocracy of the city and they were frequent visitors at the house of fulbert the canon his niece as she was presumed to be was the great object of attraction there never was a time when intellectual frenchmen have not bowed down to cultivated women heloise though only a girl was a queen of such society as existed in the city albeit more admired by men than women poetical imaginative witty ready frank with a singular appreciation of intellectual excellence dazzled by literary fame and looking up to those brilliant men who worshipped her in truth heloise was a prodigy she was vastly superior to the men who surrounded her most of whom were pedants or sophists or bigots dignitaries indeed but men who exalted the accidental and the external over the real and the permanent men who were fond of quibbles and sophistries jealous of each other and of their own reputation dogmatic and positive as priests are apt to be and most positive on points which either are of no consequence or cannot be solved the soul of heloise panted for a greater intellectual freedom and a deeper sympathy than these priests could give she pined in society she was isolated by her own superiority superior not merely in the radiance of the soul but in the treasures of the mind nor could her companions comprehend her greatness even while they were fascinated by her presence she dazzled them by her personal beauty perhaps more than by her wit for even mediaeval priests could admire an expansive brow a deep blue eye de et penetrant a mouth varying with unconscious sarcasms teeth strong and regular a neck long and flexible and shoulders sloping and gracefully moulded over which fell ample and golden locks 
while the attitude the complexion the blush the thrilling accent and the gracious smile languor and passion depicted on a face both pale and animated seduced the imagination and commanded homage venus polyhymnia stood confessed in all her charms for the time triumphant over that venus urania who made the convent of the paraclete in after times a blessed comforter to all who sought its consolations among the distinguished visitors at the house of her uncle the canon attracted by her beauty and accomplishments was a man thirty-eight years of age of noble birth but by profession an ecclesiastic whose large forehead fiery eye proud air plain negligent dress and aristocratic manners by turns affable and haughty stamped him as an extraordinary man the people in the street stopped to gaze at him as he passed or rushed to the doors and windows for a glimpse for he was as famous for genius and learning as he was distinguished by manners and aspect he was the eldest son of a breton nobleman who had abandoned his inheritance and birthright for the fascination of literature and philosophy his name was peter abelard on the whole the most brilliant and interesting man whom the middle ages produced not so profound as anselm or learned as peter lombard or logical as thomas aquinas or acute as albertus magnus but the most eloquent expounder of philosophy of whom i have read he made the dullest subjects interesting he clothed the dry bones of metaphysics with flesh and blood he invested the most abstruse speculations with life and charm he filled the minds of old men with envy and of young men with admiration he thrilled admirers with his wit sarcasm and ridicule a sort of galileo mocking yet amusing with a superlative contempt of dullness and pretension he early devoted himself to dialectics to all the arts of intellectual gladiatorship to all the sports of logical tournaments which were held in such value by the awakened spirits of the new civilization such was abelard's precocious ability even as a youth that no champion could be found to refute him in the whole of brittany he went from castle to castle and convent to convent a philosophical knight-errant seeking intellectual adventures more intent however on eclat and conquest than on the establishment of the dogmas which had ruled the church since saint augustine he was a born logician as Bousset was a born priest loving to dispute as much as the bishop of meaux loved to preach not a serious man but a bright man ready keen acute turning fools into ridicule and pushing acknowledged doctrines into absurdity not to bring out the truth as socrates did or furnish a sure foundation of knowledge but to revolutionize and overturn his spirit was like that of lucien desiring to demolish without substituting anything for the dogmas he had made ridiculous consequently he was mistrusted by the old oracles of the schools and detested by conservative churchmen who had intellect enough to see the tendency of his speculations in proportion to the hatred of orthodox ecclesiastics like anselme of leon and saint bernard was the admiration of young men and of the infant universities nothing embarrassed him he sought a reason for all things he appealed to reason rather than authority yet made the common mistake of the scholastics in supposing that metaphysics could explain everything he doubtless kindled a spirit of inquiry while he sapped the foundation of christianity and undermined faith he was a nominalist that is he denied the existence of all eternal ideas such as plato and the early fathers advocated he is said to have even adduced the opinions of pagan philosophers to prove the mysteries of revelation he did not deny revelation nor authority nor the prevailing doctrines which the church endorsed and defended but the tendency of his teachings was to undermine what had previously been received by faith he exalted reason therefore as higher than faith his spirit was offensive to conservative teachers had he lived in our times he would have belonged to the most progressive schools of thought and inquiry 
probably a rationalist denying what he could not prove by reason and scorning all supernaturalism a philosopher of the school of hume or strauss or renan and yet after assailing everything venerable and turning his old teachers into ridicule and creating a spirit of rationalistic inquiry among the young students of divinity who adored him abelard settled back on authority in his old age perhaps alarmed and shocked at the mischief he had done in his more brilliant years this exceedingly interesting man with all his vanity conceit and arrogance had turned his steps to paris the centre of all intellectual life in france after he had achieved a great provincial reputation he was then only twenty a bright and daring youth conscious of his powers and burning with ambition he was not ambitious of ecclesiastical preferment for aristocratic dunces occupied the great seas and ruled the great monasteries he was simply ambitious of influence over students in philosophy and religion fond of eclat and fame as a teacher the universities were not then established there were no chairs for professors nor even were there scholastic titles like those of doctor and master but paris was full of students disgusted with the provincial schools the cathedral school of paris was the great attraction to these young men then presided over by william of champeaux a very respectable theologian but not a remarkable genius like aquinas and bonaventura who did not arise until the dominican and franciscan orders were established to combat heresy abelard being still a youth attended the lectures of this old theologian who was a realist not an original thinker but enjoying a great reputation which he was most anxious to preserve the youthful prodigy at first was greatly admired by the veteran teacher but abelard soon began to question him and argue with him admiration was then succeeded by jealousy some sided with the venerable teacher but more with the flippant yet brilliant youth who turned his master's teachings into ridicule and aspired to be a teacher himself but as teaching was under the supervision of the school of notre dame paris was interdicted to him he was not allowed to combat the received doctrines which were taught in the cathedral school so he retired to melun about thirty miles from paris and set up for a teacher and lecturer on philosophy all the influence of william of champeaux and his friends was exerted to prevent abelard from teaching but in vain his lecture room was crowded the most astonishing excesses attended his lectures not contented with the eclat he received he now meditated the discomfiture of his old master he removed still nearer to paris and so great was his success and fame that it is said he compelled william to renounce his realism and also his chair and accept a distant bishopric william was conquered by a mere stripling but that stripling could have overthrown a goliath of controversy not with a sling but with a giant's sword abelard having won a great dialectical victory which brought as much fame as military laurels on the battlefield established himself at saint genevieve just outside the walls of paris where the pantheon now stands which is still the centre of the latin quarter and the residence of students he now applied himself to the study of divinity and attended the lectures of anselm of leon this celebrated ecclesiastic though not so famous or able as anselm of canterbury was treated by abelard with the same arrogance and flippancy as he had bestowed on william of champeaux i frequented said the young mocker the old man's school but soon discovered that all his power was in length of practice you would have thought he was kindling a fire when instantly the whole house was filled with smoke in which not a single spark was visible he was a tree covered with thick foliage which to the distant eye had charms but on near inspection there was no fruit to be found a fig tree such as our lord did curse an oak such as lucan compared pompey to stat magni nominis umbra what a comment on the very philosophy which abelard himself taught 
what better description of the scholasticism of the middle ages but original and brilliant as was the genius of abelard he no more could have anticipated the new method which bacon taught than could thomas aquinas all the various schools of the medieval dialecticians realists and nominalists alike sought to establish old theories not to discover new truth they could not go beyond their assumptions so far as their assumptions were true they rendered great service by their inexorable logic in defending them they did not establish premises that was not their concern or mission assuming that the sun revolved around the earth all their astronomical speculations were worthless even as the assumption of the old doctrine of atoms in our times has led scientists to the wildest conclusions the metaphysics of the schoolmen whether they were skeptical or reverential simply sharpened the intellectual faculties without advancing knowledge end of section one